This morning's reading is from Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 11. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in death. And so, somehow, to attain the resurrection from the dead. Good morning. My question for us this morning and has been my uh, journey all week as I've been preparing to come and present this truth to you this morning, is do we want to know Christ more? Truly. Do we want to go deeper in our relationship with Him? Do we long for Him more? That I may know Him. Paul declares. I watched this beautiful video of Luther, Martin Luther, and I wanted to share a little clip from that on his journey of knowing Christ. What is it that you seek? A merciful God whom I can love and who loves me. Martin Luther, as he spent time in the monastery, was transformed by that love of Jesus Christ. So much so that he went on to influence all of Western civilization in the true love of Christ. When he came to a place of surrender, I am yours, Jesus. Save me. Do you want to know him more? Do you want your relationship with Christ to go deeper and deeper every day? That's Paul's heart in this journey as we study Philippians this morning, as he longs himself to know Jesus. As he wanted to go deeper with our Lord. And like Martin Luther with the Protestant Reformation, 
Paul was used of God to radically change the life that was lived out in law and legalism into a life that was lived out in the freedom of Christ. Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Paul begins chapter 3. Finally, he says, rejoice in the Lord. And I just wanted to point out something here as a pastor. Paul starts chapter 3 with the words, finally. And then he goes on for two more chapters. And I want you to understand something about Jackson and myself. It is very apostolic when we go on for two more chapters or ten minutes or so. It's the way that Paul led. And so you will hear finally often, oh, but there's so much more. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Where is our place of rejoicing? The only place that rejoicing can be is in our Savior. It's the only place where we can have life. It's the only place where He sustains us and so we can have joy. I want you, dear brothers, he says, to rejoice in the Lord. It is not a trouble for me. It is no difficulty for me to keep repeating these things to you. These same things again to you, for it is a safeguard for you. Well, what are the same things that Paul is repeating? I believe what he keeps bringing up is that you can rejoice in the Lord. He uses the NIV translation, it's a safeguard for you. I don't think that's the best translation. The word there has the idea of it is, it is a solid foundation for your spiritual life. It is, it is a firm foundation for you that I would repeat these things. Because right now, we're all in the middle of the rain. It is pouring down. And it makes no sense just like the pouring rain we've had in August. Where is it coming from? Here's what you can do in the middle of the pouring rain. We can rejoice in the Lord. And I want to keep presenting this truth to you, he says, so that you have a, a firm foundation of what is true of our God, that he has come to give you life, and that we rest in him. And I, Paul, as I sit between two Roman guards in this terrible cell in the middle of Rome, and as I speak to you, dear Philippians, whom I love, who are in this Roman colony persecuted for your love of Jesus Christ, it is there and in that place that we can rejoice in the Lord and nothing else but in him. Because he is our life. He is our rock. He is our salvation. Remember Philippians 2 says, Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service that is coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you 
So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. It's joy that comes from our depth of relationship with Jesus Christ in the middle of the rain. And Paul is saying that I want to have that love relationship. That's what Martin Luther was saying. I want to know a merciful God who, who loves me and that I can love. Do you wrestle with that? I hope you do. I know I do every day. What is my faith all about? What's this journey that I'm on? Do I know Christ more today? Am I beginning to experience his love as I depend on him, as I surrender to him, as I look to him as my life and my source? Because as we sung this morning, he did. He paid the price for us. And he rose again. And he gives us life as we believe upon him. Paul says, I want that love relationship. And God uses Paul to minister that to the Philippians and to you and to me. Do we want to know him? And what he speaks here is that this relationship, verse 2, is not of, of this list of religiosity. People are trying to speak that to you, the Judaizers, those Jewish Christians who, who are trying to lay this guilt trip and this legalism upon the Gentiles who are new in their faith in Christ. And they're trying to lay their own rules about how to have beautiful relationship with God. And they say, here are the rules to that. And here's what Paul says of them. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Verse 3, for it is we who are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh though I myself have many reasons for such confidence. He's saying this type of deep love relationship with Jesus Christ does not come from an external checklist. It's not a, a, a honey-do list of relationship. Could you imagine if our marriages were just that? I did everything on the list today and therefore I know my wife on a deeper level I love her more usually doesn't lead to more love when I'm doing that honey list and Paul is saying there are those who are speaking these things to you who are saying you must do these things and we do it to ourselves. We, we set up the honey-do list of religion. I went to church and I, and I read my Bible. I was nice to somebody today. I tithed at church today. And you know what, this week as I look at it and I think about it, I didn't have any really big sins this week. And so not a bad week overall. Check, check, check. Do you want to know him? How's that taking you deeper with Christ? Our Lord desires a surrender of the heart 
to him. I am yours, Jesus. Save me. And then from that becomes this life relationship with Jesus Christ that is transformational in our lives. And what happens to us when we start to live the life of Christ, there starts to be this outflow of life. And then what happens is we want to gather in community at church together because this is, this is brothers and sisters in Christ. It is a joy for our hearts. It is what Christ wanted. It is what he set up, the church. I want to serve you because it's, it's what God has for my life and it, it, is, it is part of who I am now in Christ Jesus. It's an outpouring. I want to love others. I want to give to God in his kingdom work because it's all his anyway. And I trust God for my finance. And I say, here, God, I trust you. Here's this money, which for some reason I keep thinking is mine. You know, sometimes we pray I give a little portion to you. Come on. It's all his. We give to the kingdom of God because it's part of our spiritual act of worship. Not because we have to. And he wants this deep relationship with us, and there's many who are teaching again that, they, that you do these things, and they, they lead us into a false intimacy with Christ. Pleasing God and, and knowing God comes through your amazing efforts for the kingdom. That your justification, your right standing before God comes by your acts. That you've completed your checklist. This is what Paul, remember as we studied Galatians, this is what he argued against over and over. Stop buying into the lie that here's all the things that you must do in order to love God and to be loved by God. It's a surrender of our lives and our hearts. Success theology or baptism is necessary or name it and claim it theology. If I just pray this certain prayer over and over again, then it'll come true and my boundaries will expand. It's not what life in Christ is about. Surrender, going deeper. Those dogs, the lowest form, they're... Their actions are evil. And he even mocks the circumcision, which was their mark of their godliness. He says they've mutilated the flesh. What they look to is saying, I am with God and God is with me. Paul now mocks. He says they've destroyed their flesh when they present this truth that they think is truth to you. And what Paul says and what Greg read this morning is that if you think that this is the relationship, the way to deeper relationship with Christ, this boasting in the flesh, this what I've done, and again for the, at the time that, that you would be circumcised, that you would only eat certain dietary things, he says if that is the way, then I'm the one who is your man. If you want an example of how to have godliness by checklist, then I'm the guy, Paul says. Look to me. 
if you want to think that this is the way, because I'm the one who was circumcised on the eighth day. I followed the Levitical law. I'm of the people of Israel. I have true blood. My bloodline is pure. I'm the tribe of Benjamin. I'm the only, he was the one who was the only son born in the promised land. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He probably spoke in Hebrew and in Aramaic when everybody else spoke in Greek. He probably prayed in Hebrew, studied in Hebrew. He was a Pharisee of the ones that were 6,000 that were ones called themselves, Pharisee means the separated ones. Oh, if you want to have religion by doing this list, I'm the guy that you could look to. I was zealous in that I persecuted the church. I am blameless. And what he means there is that if they were to come to me, the Pharisees, the Judaizers, if they were to come to me and they were to weigh me out in the weight of all these laws, all 600 plus of oral law that has been laid out, I would stand blameless. I would be even scale. I would have a spotless record Nobody could accuse me that this is life in Christ. Paul is saying, if that is life in Christ, I would still be teaching that. But I was walking one day on the road to Damascus, zealous for God, ready to kill Christians, and Christ got a hold of me. As he did with each and every one of you who love Jesus, you were on that path, angry at God, a God who wasn't angry at you. And God got a hold of you. And he transformed your life like he did mine. And Paul's saying, if that was the life, I'd still be preaching it. But what they're teaching you is, is a lie and it's actually evil and it's absolutely contrary to who Christ is in your life. I want you to have life. And what happens in verse 3 now, look at this. He says, for it is we who are the circumcision. All of a sudden there's a role reversal. Those, the Jews and the Judaizers thought, we are the circumcision. We are the ones who please God. We are the ones in right relationship with God. And now Paul says, no, no, no. It's those whose hearts have been cut to the core with the love of Christ, like Martin Luther was. He kept trying to please God. Martin Luther would flog himself. He would starve himself somehow to try to please God, to show his faithfulness. But where he became a true part of the circumcision is when he said, I am yours. Save me. That way of religion, that way of an attempt to have life in Christ, is not what true worship is about. He says, here's what true worship is. True worship is those who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. We worship... By the Spirit, it's no longer the outward law. It's no longer what we used to do in the day of doing sacrifice. That's why Christ came. You couldn't 
you couldn't do enough sacrifice to somehow be right with God. You couldn't kill enough spotless sheep to say, I am pure and forgiven. Couldn't do it. And so I need to send my son as the sheep to be sacrificed for you that the blood of the lamb would pour over us and that we would be forgiven and have life. And now all we do is we live life in surrender and in obedience to our beautiful Savior. That's what Paul longs for us. That's what our Lord longs for us. We worship by the Spirit since the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come upon us. Those who believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus says, and I send another, and he is the Holy Spirit, your comforter, your counselor, and he will dwell with you. He is your paraclete. He's the one who comes by your side. He is now living. And your life is living through the power of the Spirit. All life, when we live in the Spirit, becomes worship. And like David was saying this morning, as we realize who our God is, we can do nothing but worship more and more. Not out of a have to, but because there's no other place to go. Do you want to know him more? True worshipers glory in in Christ Jesus. We boast in Christ Jesus, not in ourselves and what we've done, not in our ministry efforts. We glory in Him. Everything that God uses us to do for His kingdom, we say all glory to our Lord Jesus. Not, and look at me, O God, and what I have accomplished for your kingdom. We glory in Him. We boast in Him because He is the only source of my satisfaction. He is it. He's the only reason I have life. And so all glory goes to Him, period. We understand that Christ has done it all. You know, for some reason we keep trying to say that we've done it. That's why we have faith. That because of the steps I've taken, that's why I'm a follower of Christ. He's done it all. He's the one who who started to stir your heart and transform. The one thing that we have done is to respond to all that he has done in our lives. That's why all glory goes to him. We put no confidence in the flesh. There's nothing spiritually that's taking place that is because of us. It's all because of the work of the Spirit. It's all because of the power of God. That's New Covenant life, isn't it? My competency, 2 Corinthians 3, does not come from me. My competency is from Christ. That means any spiritual life that goes forth is because I surrender His life in me. And I surrender and I go, Lord, I'm yours. Here, send me. Use me. Thank you, Father, for giving me the power to enter into this person's life. I had no strength to do so. Thank you for for giving me the words to speak your love. I was scared and I didn't know how. All glory, all competency is from Him. And so when we get the joy of entering into life with others, then we say, we step back and we say, Thank you, Jesus, that i got to be part of your love plan for the world. And I know you more. Isn't that true? Isn't that true when you allow your life to be used by Christ? 
and you see him work in your, in your life in ways that you never even thought were possible. Man, we fall in love with Jesus more there. When we go out and serve and we take steps of faith and we see God provide for us in ways that we didn't even think attainable. We know him more. Do you want to know Christ better? Well, how can we know him on a deeper level? What can we do? How, how can we go like Martin Luther, like Paul? How can we keep digging in deeper? Verse 7 says, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. I think one of the ways that we begin to to go deeper is, a, is in a renewing of our mind and in a renewing of our hearts. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Scripture says. And, and what Paul has done is he has stepped back and as he's looked at his life in Christ because he wants to know him more, he started to, he says, I consider these things. Again, God's given us mind. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Soul, heart, strength. But what Paul has done is, is he's changed investment firms. He's changed accounting methods. Everything that I was told in this world that was a good investment is a loss. And that's true for most of us today, isn't it? Everything that was supposed to be a good investment is a loss. Everything that was a credit is now a debit. My accounting methods have changed. And so in my debit column, there is one thing. One thing. And it's Christ. Do you own that? A Jesus debit card. Whose sources are never ending. That bank account is full. And every time that you want to draw closer and are in need, we go to that bank. And we say, it's all from Christ, and therefore, where I get everything from is Him. I'm not charging my Visa card over here, and this credit that keeps raking up and getting more and more, and now I'm more indebted, and now I feel, how am I going to pay it off? How do I do it? Malcolm Muggeridge, who was a British journalist and a Christian theologian apologist, he said this. <clears throat> I can say that I never knew what joy was like until I gave up pursuing happiness. You see, what I was told was that happiness was the pursuit. But I never knew joy until that was considered a loss. I can say that I never cared to live, he says, until I chose to die. That he thought that, that he could have life with all that the world says is how to live 
Now I consider it a loss compared to the surpassing worth, the value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It becomes very personal for Paul. We see this for the first time, and I think one of the only times. The surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. What happens is, again, we, we do the checklist of how to do religion and how to have relationship with Christ. But in the middle of all that, he's never my Lord. He's never everything to me. I'm not loving him deeper as I check the list off. Paul becomes very personal. It is Jesus, my Lord, and the surpassing worth of knowing him. All that stuff I was going after didn't bring me life. And everything that Paul said was before, you know, I was circumcised, Hebrew, Hebrews, all these things that I went after, they became abhorrent to, to Paul because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Because they kept him from going deeper with his Savior. Those were his pursuits. And now his pursuit is only Jesus. And his thinking and his mind that has been renewed is it's all Christ. And I only want to dwell there. And it's only there that I have joy and I can rejoice in him. Everything that I went for, everything that I thought religion was, I consider them skubala. Garbage. It's actually a vulgar term. And he uses basically a curse word here. It's junk. It's awful. Skabala. Obviously, he's wanting to grab the reader's attention. I want to understand something. Everything that we keep going after in this, this attempt to somehow be loved more by God and to live more for him in our efforts... It's rubbish. That I may know him. These pursuits that I want after are like purchasing gumball rings with a quarter at the local store. When we've been given this large, beautiful, flawless diamond ring, a free gift, and yet we keep putting the quarter in to somehow get another ring. That's junk. How can we know him? I think one of the ways that we go deeper is the renewing of our minds. Everything is from him and the pursuit changes. My pursuit is him and him alone. My debit, my columns are him. I have no credit. It's all about Christ in my life. Do you want to know him? Look at verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings to become like him unto death. I want to know him. It's been 30 years since Paul's encounter on the road to Damascus. 30 years. This is a man who loves Jesus Christ. 
for 30 years, wrestling, knowing, going deeper, 30 years of journey, and what does he say? I want to know him deeper. I want to go further and wider with Christ, my Lord. How about you? Do you want to go further with our Lord and Savior? Are you content with, well, I journeyed, you know, 20-some years and done all right? Do you want to go deeper? There was a longing that was already there. He wanted to know more, like I do with my wife. I want to keep going deeper with her. I don't want to waste 20 years and just like, oh, well, that's enough. I want to dive into the mess of our life together, the journey and the joy and the beauty and the hard work because I want to know her more. And Christ says, you are my beautiful bride. Christ died on the cross and he broke the bonds of death. That was the power of God. Do you want to know him? You will enter into the power of Christ that transforms life. When he came into our lives, he made us a new creation. That is the power of the resurrection. Do you understand you are a new being? You are placed in the heavenlies, Ephesians 2 says. You are in right standing with God. Your life has been changed from inside out. You now are no longer a slave to sin. You are a bondservant of Christ who has given you life and joy. That's the power of the resurrection. And he comes in and he invades our lives with his power that gives us full life. I've come to give you life and I give it to you abundantly that's full of him. And I will change you. And you will know my love. And you will experience my resurrection. If we have died with Christ, surely we will rise with him. That's what he's done with you and me. Paul identifies that. That's my, my friend Chris, who, who shares the gospel of Jesus with her 80-year-old mother this week at lunch. And her mother, at 80-some-odd years, says, Lord, I am yours. Save me. That's the power of the resurrection. When you were transformed from being dead to sin, that is the power of the resurrection. You want to know him more? You will experience in your life as you surrender to him the power of the resurrection in your life. It's the power of the resurrection that took my orphaned, angry at Christ's father and changed him into an evangelist who can't shut up about Jesus. That's the power of the resurrection. You have that in life as we surrender and we realize it's Christ and Christ alone that is my pursuit. Do you want to know him more? Then you depend on the power of the resurrection. Not on all your abilities. It's him. We have this treasure in jars of clay, Paul teaches us in Corinthians, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and it's not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We're perplexed but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we are not abandoned by God. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. And we carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life, the resurrection power of God may also be revealed in our bodies, in our life. 
For we who are alive, that's you and me in Jesus Christ, we are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our bodies. When we know the power of the resurrection, when we allow him to lead our lives, when we depend on his power for spiritual life, then we experience a joy that goes deeper than ever. We experience Him, and we know Him more. But He goes on, and He says this, I want to know Him, I want to know the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. These two go hand in hand. You cannot separate them. They're like peanut butter and jelly. They're meant to go together, and they're meant to be stuck together. It's like Good Friday and Easter. They go together. We have the power of the resurrection, and we will, because we are followers of Jesus Christ, we will koinonia. We will enter in to the fellowship of his sufferings. Who wants to do that? We don't. Who shows up at a church to visit and says, Look at them, they suffer well. Honey, let's join. I can't wait to dive in. Who wants to fellowship? Do you remember Peter as he's talking to Jesus and Matthew? And Jesus starts talking about the weight of the cross, and Peter says, Lord, no! You can't go there. Lord, no. Stop talking, Jesus. What does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Peter, your mind is not on the things of Christ. Life with me will go to the cross. But on that cross, you will experience the power of the resurrection. They go hand in hand. It's a divine gift. Philippians 1.29 says it's been granted, it has been graced to you on behalf of Christ Jesus, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Not only to believe, but to suffer. You see, we don't just receive the benefits of Jesus. We share in his suffering, and he shares with us. Do you understand? Christ went to all of that. John Stott says, I I wouldn't want to worship a God who didn't suffer. This world is, is full of pain that we have a God who's gone through all of that. That's the God I want to worship because he knows what I'm going through. He's been there. And he's sharing in the suffering right with me, right now. The suffering comes to a Christian not as a sign of neglect, Kent Hughes says, but rather as proof that grace is at work in our lives and then there becomes sacred intimacy. It's proof that grace 
is at work in our lives. You know, I was thinking as we've been studying Philippians, which is about unity, unity in the body of Christ, unity with our Lord and Savior. I thought, what does that look like for us to do this together, to go deeper? And my prayer for us is that we would help each other, that we would, like Epaphrodites, come alongside one another, and that we would move people to know him better, more, deeper, wider. That we wouldn't come into each other's lives and just be fixers. There's a problem, well, hey, let's, let's fix it. We're kind of quick to do that, aren't we? We want everything to just be okay. It's not okay. Things are not okay. I think you guys know that. But that we'd come along each other's side and that we would be Epaphroditus helpers who would bring people into the arms of Jesus in our marriages that are struggling. We want marriages to be healthy. But as they struggle, let's not be ones who are just like, well, you know, let's, it's all going to be fine. You know, just hang in there. Let's, let's help the individual spouses to say, I, I need Jesus here. You know what, it's not fine right now, but I'm going to depend on Christ. And would we help each other to do that? Yeah, the truth is your marriage is in turmoil. But allow Christ to draw you in more. It's only at that place that maybe we can get enough love to love our spouse again. Let's help people to know him better, to go deeper. When we doubt our faith, in the middle of many of you who've lost work, it's this place of suffering that we grow and we know Lord, the Lord in a beautiful intimacy, that we will fellowship. The power comes when we suffer, we experience the life of Christ and we have joy even in the middle of the hospital room. And that I may know Him. I want to know His power. I want to fellowship with Him and becoming like Him in death. That's how He wraps this up. He says, I become like Him in death. And that verb tense is interesting there because if it's a verb that is the idea that it's this ongoing transformational work in our lives. That we have, we have deaths with Christ and then we also have these resurrections with Christ on this daily journey. Isn't that true of life? But like what's happening with Valerie and the kids right now at the hospital is that as she is growing more in Christ, and if you read Caring Bridge and her journey, as she's holding on to the Lord and going deeper, there are many deaths, days where she just goes, I don't know how this is all going to work out. But then there's the power of the resurrection as she goes, Lord, I've seen you in this. As much as we want Greg Tucker to be fully healed, we want Valerie and the boys to know Jesus on a deeper level. 
I want to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and unto his death, that somehow I might attain the resurrection. Basically saying, my goal, I don't know if Christ is coming first, I don't know if I'm going to die and go, he says, but I will attain the resurrection. My one goal is Christ. My only pursuit is Christ because he's my life. Do you want to know him? Amen.